Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, Dad has, has already shared, anyone who knows me well knows that this is one of my favorite subjects. Because it's, as Dad says, it, it's something that I've walked, and I say that not as a badge of honor. I say that as a, as a testimony of privilege. I say that as a recognition that this principle has shaped so much of who I am today. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful to God for it, um, that we could enter into it, discover it, and, and throw ourselves headfirst into it completely. But also, I'm very grateful also to Pastor Andreas and Christella because they've walked with me all these years. They've poured their lives into me and given me tremendous trust beyond what I deserve. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not always easy putting up with me. I, I know it looks like it, but really it's not. So credit, credit where credit is due. Um, what I really want to do this morning or this afternoon, wherever we're at, I want to tackle this subject from a different angle than I've ever tackled it before, because I realize I'm laying a foundation today that that others will be building upon in the coming weeks. And uh, where I want to begin, there's, there's two principles, primary principles I want to discuss with you today that are, are foundational principles concerning this, this theme. But I want to begin by breaking down the title that Pastor Andreas has laid down. But God builds his kingdom on sons, both male and female. It sounds like a very absolute statement. And there's a lot of truth in it. And I want to sh just share a few points concerning this title. And number one is this. <clears throat> building is a process. Building doesn't happen overnight. Every one of us, yes, when we get born again, there's an, a, an initial <coughs> excuse me, transformation that takes place. But building takes time. It's a process. It's a line upon line, precept upon precept thing. And the worst thing we can do as sons and daughters of God is compare our walk and our journey to other people. Our calling is unique. Our identity is unique. Our mannerisms or ways of growing and understanding are, are unique to, to us. And we need to understand that each one of us is on our own personal journey with God of sonship. And that journey takes time. Building is a process. It's also not an apathetic process. It doesn't happen by accident. Um, houses are not like trees. They don't grow up out of the ground and spring up overnight. Oh, look, I never saw that before. It takes deliberate effort of building foundations, placement, architecture, all these kinds of things goes into it. So when we talk about building the kingdom, we need to understand that that in and of itself is a process. And for that, I also want to just give a brief introduction to understanding what it is, what is it doing me that we mean when we say we're building the kingdom through through spiritual, through sons, both uh, male and female. A kingdom is an area over which a king exercises rulership. That's just a really simple way of putting it. Um, but the kingdom of God is different in that from other kingdoms in that 
this world's manner of kingdom rulership is that authorities rule over people. Whereas in the kingdom of God, God exercises his rulership through his people. He doesn't rule over his people. He rules, rules through his people. And the difference is huge. Um, the first scripture I want to give to you today comes out of the book of Hebrews. And it's Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. And it says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and, I, and they shall be my people. We see that throughout all of, um, you know, the, the, the narrative of the Bible, this phrase comes up again and again and again. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I'll look at that again in a moment. But the way that God wants to be God to us is, is not through giving us the law of Moses. If you continue reading that, that whole passage of scripture in Hebrews 8, which we'll touch on just now when we take communion, it talks about the old covenant that wasn't good enough because we didn't have the fortitude to, to keep it. And so a better covenant had to be made where the law is not imposed from the outside, but that something happens and changes within the heart of somebody, within the mind, the way of thinking, the ethos of somebody. And that God does not rule in his kingdom through putting laws on people, but he rules through changing who we are, what we are, the very substance of who we are. He makes us something different. And we're going to get on to that. Now, when this writer in Hebrews, we understand this is a this is a New Testament book, but he is speaking to Hebrews, to Jews. And so he's trying to to tie Judaism into Christianity so that they understand the transition and everything that's happened through Christ Jesus. And when he says, I will be their God and they will be my people, he's using Old Testament language, but it's con which, which conveys an idea, but not the full principle. You see, to say that I will be their God or and they will be my people conveys an idea that they could be my subjects, they could be citizens in my kingdom, they could be servants to me. But what is really meant when we understand the fullness of Scripture is that God, when he's saying, I will be their God and they will be my people, it becomes a very personal matter of ownership, if you like, that I belong to him and he belongs to me in a relationship that is not just cordial or civil through structure, but is deep, intimate and lasting like a family relationship. So. When we talk about kingdom in this series that God builds and establishes and advances his kingdom through sons and daughters, I want you to have in your understanding not a kingdom over people, but a kingdom and a rulership within the hearts of people that works in them to change who they are, to change how they think, to change how they believe, which produces different results in their lives, not just for themselves, but in their areas of influence. The other thing that is significant about the title of the series is the word sons. <clears throat> Girls, please don't be offended. I know we're going to use this word quite a lot. Uh, just think of it this way. One day when Jesus comes again, for all of eternity, us guys are going to be called the bride of Christ. So while we're down here, please just, you know that you're, you're going to get your own back later on. The term sons is significant. We say both male and female, but there's something in the term sons which is really significant 
especially if you understand scripture and if you understand nature and how God created the human race to work and to function. The term son emphasizes identity and inheritance. Identity, in other words, lineage. When my wife got married to me, as the custom is, she took on my name. She actually says to me that the only reason she married me was for my name. Because people don't struggle to spell Morris, but Kiriaku is a tough one. So with that comes an identity. There's a lineage that comes down with that, which includes rights and nature. What do I mean by nature? I mean the term identity, your identity determines your nature, what you are like, and, and also determines the rights that you have because of who you are. You know, um, William and Harry have certain rights because of who they are. They're born into the monarchy. But also it comes with inheritance. The firstborn son also received what was called the double portion. In other words, he received a double blessing of what all the others of the inheritance as it was divided. The firstborn son received the double portion of the inheritance and the blessing. So son is significant because it denotes belonging, identity, that name that gets carried down, which, which brings with it certain rights, certain level of empowerment or privilege. Um, and that is very significant when we talk about being sons of the king. Now this already, just understanding the, the title um, and what we mean by some of these terms, puts a good foundation for me to build an understanding on the principle. And I want to convey two simple principles to you today concerning advancing the kingdom of God through fathers and sons. And the first one is this. Fathering has to do with reproduction, in other words, seed and formation. Fathering has to do with reproduction and formation. Formation is all about identifying, giving identity, giving value, um, molding and we'll get onto that later but I first want to talk about this principle of reproduction because I think when we understand the principle it actually becomes really exciting as I was pondering on this and meditating on it in preparation I actually became really excited about how this all fits together when we think of it even in natural terms it's a natural law that all of us only reproduce after our kind we have puppies and dogs in our home but they weren't born through us Dogs produce dogs, cats produce cats. We've adopted dogs, uh, but you know we can't produce dogs. It's a law of nature that we produce after our own kind. Seeds likewise. An acorn is not going to produce a pine tree. An acorn is going to produce an oak tree. Um, and, and this natural law is a reflection of a spiritual law. And it's a good example. It's a good thing to look at side by side. This is why God created man in his own likeness. He reproduced something, someone for fellowship and intimacy. But when he did so, he did so after his own kind. We are made in the likeness and the image of God for intimacy with him. That's also why when he wanted to redeem mankind, he couldn't use a natural sinful man. Because a natural sinful man can only produce natural sinful offspring. A natural sinful man can only produce natural sinful results. It is not within him to produce perfection. It is not within him to produce the life and the nature of God because he is fallen. Fallen man can't produce eternal life. 
he doesn't have it in him to do. So God needed to send his own son in his own likeness, with his own heart, carrying divine rights, divine nature, and divine empowerment. Remember, we spoke because he was God's seed. He carried the nature of God because he was of God, the rights of a king because he was, uh, was divine royalty, the empowerment that came with that through the Holy Spirit to claim victory over that which held mankind captive. The very thing that separated us from our original purpose and, and made us something that we were not created to be. Jesus claimed victory over that to deliver us into the liberty of our true identity. The true identity of what God created us to be in the very beginning. In his likeness, free from sin, to have dominion within the earth. So that the kingdom of God could rule over the earth through mankind that ought to make you excited to understand that what Jesus bought was not just forgiveness for our sin he bought deliverance from everything that not only separated us from God but that stopped us from being like God who we were created in the likeness of Jesus brings us back to this place of identity of value of inheritance of empowerment and even of the nature of God himself in heaven. That ought to make us really excited. I'll read you a portion of scripture that really brought this home to me many years ago. It's from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, grab it. Let's read together or your device. There's a few portions of scripture I've got for you today. But this is talking about what I'm sharing with you, that fathering produces something in us. It, it, there's a seed that is planted that produces a kind of life that can only be produced through the Father. Ephesians 2, 1 to 7 says this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom you also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You see, so our natural bent, our, because we are born of the seed of natural man, our natural bent was to do natural things. But he goes on to say, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So really the point that I'm wanting to bring home here, when we talk about fathers and sons, is that one of the primary roles of a father is to reproduce himself again and again and again. And when we come into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that is exactly the work that God begins to do in our hearts. And this is the essence of father-son relationship, that God reproduces himself in us. He takes care of every limitation, takes off us the yoke of the natural sinful man and creates within us a new man recreated in his likeness with his life in us. 
Now, fathers are not only responsible for reproduction, but fathers are also responsible for formation. You know, I've got two kids. I'm not just responsible for their production. Once the seed is sown, I have a I have a responsibility for the harvest. I need to, in a natural field, I need to water the harvest. I need to fertilize the harvest. I may need to use pesticides at some time. I may need to prune. There's many things I need to do along the way so that that, heart, so that, that seed produces good fruit. And likewise with my children. I've sown a seed. Now I'm responsible for the harvest that I will receive. And as a father, I, under God, I bear that responsibility primarily. I bear it with my wife. But at the end of the day, God's looking to me. Fathers are not, so now, what is my job in that then? I need to impart a value system to my children and to my offspring. Fathers impart value systems. They impart a worldview. In other words, how I see myself in this world and how I see this world around me based on who I am. That's what worldview really is. It's both of those together. How I see myself in the bigger picture. Where do I fit in? As well as how do I view the bigger picture in light of who I am? That's worldview. And the father also produces a way of thinking to their offspring, both consciously and subconsciously. My sister and I often laugh because one of my, my dad's regular sayings when we caught him doing things he told us not to do was, he always used to say to us, do as I say, don't do as I do. But we all know, naturally, children will do what their parents do. They mimic and they model themselves after their parents. We, and a father's job is to model a, a, a way of life, a train of thought, uh, and, and equip their children for ultimate release. And what does that release look like? That release means that this child or this person is finally at a place of maturity. Maturity means that I am able to, to shoulder responsibility with the heart of God. It's not just about having responsibility. It's about carrying out the responsibilities of the kingdom with God's heart and with his ethos. And God works in us. You see, God does this wonderful work of recreation. And as I've already said, as I called it earlier on, reproduction, he reproduces himself in us. But that work, like I said in the beginning, is a building. It's something that grows. And as we continue to walk with God, as we continue to study his word and journey with him, he builds and develops that within us and makes us more and more like him. Uh, let me give you some examples from scripture. Uh, Galatians 3, 26. Galatians 3, verse 26, all the way to Galatians 4, verse 2. I'll read it for you. It says this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is, not, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You see, there you have it. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Now that word comes up again, seed. Why is it significant? Because within seed, there carries inheritance and promises. Because he goes on to say, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So as heirs of Abraham's seed, we come into every promise that God has made to him through the, through the covenant. He goes on to say, now. I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So it's not just about the fact that God has brought us into his kingdom and made, made us his own. 
There is a work of growing, even though we have full inheritance, even though the fullness of the kingdom belongs to us. We need to grow in maturity. We need to grow in our understanding. And this is the work of formation. God will not release that to you, what, release to you that which you are unable to handle, that which you will squander. He needs to know that he can trust us and that we're a level of maturity to handle it. Because the ultimate goal is to be like him. We get this also out of the book of 1 John, the first epistle of John, not the, not the gospel of John, but the letters of John. 1 John 3 verse 1 and 2 says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that incredible? I really want to get this idea of the likeness of God recreated in us and growing and developing in us, because that is what the role of fatherhood is all about. You know, Peter, you're doing it with your kids. You're producing your values in them. Uh, that's just the normal thing that fatherhood should do. And that is really the essence of what fatherhood is when we talk about the subject, how that happens. And are there deeper principles to this? Yes. And I trust that those following after me will explore those more deeply. But I'm wanting to catch the essence of this principle today. The second principle that I wanted to share with you is that the heart of sonship is about capturing and expressing the heart of the father. <laughs> I haven't included it in my notes, but I'm reminded of it. And so I'll just read it to you briefly. The book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, says this. Uh, in chapter 4 of Malachi, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so we have this good, glorious idea, just to make an analogy with what I've got around me here, of a father who carries within him the essence of the kingdom of heaven. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's in him. It's what he's got. This is God the Father. And he makes us in his likeness. We come empty shells because there's no substance of life in us. And he pours himself into us. But now if my heart is not turned towards him and he tries to pour, Nothing happens. Nothing goes into me. It's And many people are like that. They hear the word of God. They hear the good news. But it makes no difference because their hearts are not open. And likewise, if my heart is open, but the father is not prepared to pour, nothing changes and nothing happens. So it, God says in, in these times that are coming, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father so that something may be reproduced. That that which is in the father may happen in the son and that may grow. And then again be poured out and again be poured out. And that's the principle of how the kingdom works. Very simple, really, isn't it? So as much as the heart of the father is about reproduction and formation, the heart of the son is one who humbly and meekly understands his role is to be formed and to be tra transformed and to be formed into the likeness. Uh, we often call this soul restoration. The heart of sonship is about capturing and expressing the heart of the father. Sons are the product of the father's love. They've been formed and transformed by it. And by it, they form and transform the world around them. Isn't that incredible? 
When I have been formed and transformed by the love of God, I naturally begin to form and transform the world around me, my family, my work environment, etc., uh, etc. Et now, if we look at the earth and God's creation after the fall, who ushered in the kingdom of God? It was the Son of God. It was Jesus. The question is, how did he do it? How did Jesus usher in the kingdom of God? The answer is by accurately representing the Father. You see, the kingdom of God is about more than just Jesus dying on the cross because Jesus was flowing in kingdom power long before he died on the cross. The enemy recognized that it had no hold or authority over him because Jesus never submitted himself to the voice of the enemy, even under severe temptation. So the enemy had no influence or hold on him. Therefore, wherever Jesus went, he he uh, exerted kingdom power and kingdom influence because he had authority in the situation through the cross. He dealt the final blow over the enemy that delivered you and I from that power to bring us into that same place where we too can walk in the kingdom and the power of Jesus because the enemy no longer has authority over you and I. How did he walk in this? So Jesus, when he came, God is the ultimate authority. God is the one who cast the devil out of heaven with one third of the angels. God has never given up his throne. God has never given up his name and he never will do. The enemy knows he's got nothing on God. And so when Jesus comes in his likeness, he represents the love and authority that comes through being the seed of God, just like you and I have. And if we look at him as an example, Jesus says some of my favorite scriptures, John 6, 38, he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus knew that his heart was to, to rep accurately represent the father. John 10, 30, he says, I and my father are one. He had no qualms about his identity. He had no uh, misgivings about, you know, who he was or what God called him to do. John 5, 19 says, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So we see this emulation, this, this, this representation of the heart of the father developed inside Jesus to such a degree that wherever he went, he did what he knew his father would be doing. So much so to the point, this was such a conscious thing in Jesus' life that in Matthew, uh, sorry, in John 7, uh, I think it's 17 verse 4, he says this, I have glorified you on the earth. He's praying to God. He says, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. What was the work that God had given Jesus to do? It was to glorify him on the earth by living a life and living the life of God on the earth. Now, this principle, likewise, as we see it between God the Father and Jesus the Son, we see it in the natural as well. By those who have captured and carry the heart of the Father. And reproduce it in others. I made a statement uh, a couple of weeks ago as I was ministering. I don't know if it's been shared on this platform, but it really, it really, it's really stuck with me because I've been challenged by it. Love for God will drive me to a monastery. If I'm going to pursue love for God with all my heart, I'm going to isolate myself from others so that I can practice pursuing the love of God. 
But love of God makes me reach out to my neighbors, makes me see them through a different lens because I see that as much as I am loved by God, so are they. And so I begin to, the love of God in me makes me see the value in others. And it can, if I carry that heart, if I carry that love, I begin to share and reproduce that love in others. We see some, some scriptural examples. Let me read those to you. Um, where those who had captured the heart of God began to reproduce that same heart, reproduce and um, form that heart in others. We see the first example I want to refer to is Paul and Timothy. Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians concerning Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. And it says, he says this, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like minded who will sincerely care for your state for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. But, you know, his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Listen to the words. He says, I have no one like minded who will sincerely care for your state. You see, Paul deeply loved the Philippians. He sincerely cared for them. But everybody else, although they would do certain things, they didn't carry the heart for the Philippians that Paul did, except Timothy. And he says, I'm sending him to you because he carries my heart. He carries my affection for you and he carries my values. And so when I send him in, I send him in representing me. Receiving Timothy is like receiving me. And that's exactly what Paul writes to about Onesimus, another one of his spiritual sons. He writes in the book of Philemon, uh, verses 10, and, 10 to 12, about this servant called Onesimus. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. You see there? Reproduction. He begot him while in his chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable. Why? Because not only was there reproduction of Paul's kind in him, there was spiritual formation that had taken place. He went from being a useless, cowardly servant, good for nothing, to being profitable. But listen to what else Paul goes on to say about this man. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. I love that. Onesimus is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Because through a, through a relationship with Paul, through being fathered, he came to the faith and found that through, through, through that relationship, he, he so transformed his life that he became, went from being unprofitable to being somebody that Paul said, I want this guy with me because he carries my heart and he's ministering to me with my heart. But I can't have him unless you release him to me, Philemon. So I'm sending him back to you. Whatever he owes you, I will pay. I'll make good on his behalf for, what, for how he has wronged you but I'm asking you to release him back to me. That's really what the letter of Philemon is all about. It's about this guy Onesimus. So we see again this, this example of somebody who captured the heart and doesn't need to always be told what to do, doesn't always need to be governed and managed externally because within them there is something so deep that that is that is developed and formed that they live from, which is the essence that has come down from the Father. Another example I'd like to give you is Pastor Andreas and Stephen. I'm glad I could use that as an example now instead of myself. This is great. You see, now the natural reproduction here is quite obvious. Okay, they even look fairly similar. Um, they're made in the same image or in the same likeness. But not only is the reproduction evident, 
but so much more the formation. You yourself have witnessed it for yourselves over the past few years, specifically in Stephen, how he has grown, how comfortable he has become in his identity, how, how bold and confident he's become. But he really is so much like his father. He, he may probably not like to admit that, but in so many ways, in his heart, in his thinking, in his values, they are identical. And I want to say to you folks, pray for me. I now have two of them on my hands. Pray for me. So really the essence of what I'm wanting to share with you is, is, is evident in scripture. It's evident in our relationship with God. It's evident in the relationships we share with those around us. And the question I have for you is this, if we're talking about kingdom and reproducing the kingdom through, through, through spiritual sons or through sons, both male and female, who has God called to continue the work of the kingdom? It's interesting that the answer to that question is not all believers, although it should be. The question is not those who are in ministry. The, the, answer, the answer to that, son, that question is, is sons and daughters. And I don't just mean those who are sons and daughters by name because they've been reproduced. Just because I've, I've come into the home doesn't mean I've laid a brick to build it. Just because I come into the fellowship doesn't mean I'm a contributor. I have to catch, I have to allow the work of formation to take place in my heart so that I can become a contributor to build and establish the kingdom of God. As it is built and established in me, so it works its way through and out of me. The most natural thing for a child to do is to receive the love of the Father and out of the security and value they receive from it, extend security and value by passing it on our primary focus and responsibility and as sons and daughters of god is to catch the heart of the father not just for ourselves but to catch the heart of the father for those around us that is how we are moved with compassion that is how the power of the spirit is released in and through us where through a relationship of deep intimacy, our hearts and our thoughts and our priorities are so shifted from being self-focused that we've captured the heart of God as sons and daughters who can accurately represent him to others in love, in generosity, in grace, in honor, in humility, and even in power because of the work that has already taken place in our hearts. What I've shared with you today is the ethos. It's, it's the, the big picture around and the beauty of spiritual father, son, and us, as well as spiritual father, son relationships between those who, who, who have caught the heart of God and reproduce it in others. And how that happens, as I've said, is can happen in so many different ways. But this is really what it's all about. Fatherhood is about capturing and reproducing the heart of God in others. Sonship is about capturing the capturing and reproducing the heart of God for ourselves and for others. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.